When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our uh, Friday slash weekend long edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby. I'm joined by Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, Doug Lay Maurice. I feel like maybe I should have had a little more like pomp and circumstance in that intro because this is the third annual Cleveland.com Browns Awards show. We are going to hand out awards for the Browns for the 2022 season. Uh, had I planned ahead, maybe I'd have had like guest presenters, a musical act, Neil Patrick Harris, somebody. I could have found somebody to be on this show and, and host or something, but oh well, what are you going to do? So I just brought you Doug back. That's the that's that's what I did. I brought Doug back. One time, I, I can't remember what year it was, but we did like the Cleveland.commies and Bud Shaw and I wore tuxedos and we had like we I remember had like this. a fake yeah. So we've done it before Dan you're acting like oh wouldn't it be silly if we had pomp and circumstance and hand out awards like we've done it. We could do it again. <laughs> Watch out. Oh. <laughs> we definitely could. All right. Here are the awards we've got. MVP, most disappointing player, rookie of the year, most improved, most likely to break out in 2023. Best and worst offseason acquisitions, the defining moment of the season, and the biggest miss of the year. So let's start on a positive note here. We're going to go MVP to start us off. I know the definition of valuable, it's different in everyone's minds, but I think that's what makes this interesting. The most valuable player, I got our draft pick lottery generator. The way we're going to do this for each award is everyone gets to nominate a player or second a nomination if that was the person they had, and then we'll vote. And I don't know how we're going to do tiebreakers. I think Mary Kay has traditionally been our tiebreaker, so maybe we'll maybe we'll just stick with that. Uh, pick one, Ashley. You get to make our first nomination this is for great. MVP. No, I'm going to make the case for the person who we actually gave the team MVP award to as a beat. So I am nominating Joel Betonio. And let's get this out of the way. People out here may be thinking, you're nominating an offensive guard for MVP? That seems pretty bleak. And to that I say, in a year where they underperformed the way that they did, it is the perfect year to give the MVP award to truly one of the best guards in the NFL, who I think we all know at this point, and I know Mary Kay talked with Joe Thomas about this, he could very well be on his way, his own Hall of Fame trajectory career if he makes a few more Pro Bowls, a few more All-Pros. Um, I just think he's such a key part in this offense, and again, in a year where this team underperformed, I think we should acknowledge how good Joel Betonio actually is because I think he gets taken for granted. This hurts. 
this hurts. I'm not going to second this just yet because I want to make sure we, I, I think there's certain players we have to have on this ballot, but I was planning all day that oh he's gonna nominate joel and then i'm gonna come in and i'm gonna make the exact same case that ashley just made that he was our media voted uh player of the year and so we're gonna put him in the mvp conversation and that was gonna be my big like look at me at the end of the mvp nomination and now i don't get to do that uh doug doug give us a nomination here i I know you began this conversation by like, let's, let's start with the positive thing, right? Let's do the MVP, the upbeat thing. I think my actual nominee is leave it blank. There is none because <laughs> who actually added value to this season that didn't have any value. So I, I don't think I'm actually going to argue for leave it blank but it's what actually my answer in my heart was. But that's not upbeat and uplifting. So I guess I'll nominate Nick Chubb. But then when I think about Nick Chubb, it's like, well, what is the, like Nick Chubb, I mean, you look at him, it's like he puts up, he's there every week. You know exactly what he's going to do. He's so foundational to this team. But like, what did it get him? I don't know. Like, what was the what was the real value in it? Because like, did we seem to have like a year long conversation about are they using him the right way? And it's like, I don't know. Wasn't he third in the league in carries or whatever? It's like, it's not like they ignored him. So, but also, you know, this is an offense that is evolving, going to evolve into a quarterback first offense. And what does that mean for Nick Chubb? So it also feels weird because it feels like to me, as great as Nick Chubb is and has always been, are they getting maximum value out of him by what they're doing? I don't know. Because how can we have a year? Doesn't it always feel like people think they're not using Nick Chubb enough? And then when you look at it, it's like, well, I don't know. They're using him a lot. And he's great. No one's complaining about Nick Chubb's output, but it's like, but is it getting them anywhere? But maybe that's the perfect MVP for this team. So I'll nominate the guy everybody loves. Maybe this should just be like, this should be like our PFWA award. Maybe this should just be player of the year. Maybe MVP. Doug, maybe you're onto something. Maybe MVP just isn't. Maybe you have to win at least like nine games to have an MVP on your team or like make the playoffs to have an MVP on your team. Mary Kay, who are you nominating? You know what? For the sake of argument, I think there's another player that needs to be on this list. Somebody that we've got to discuss. Somebody that we have to talk about when we are talking about MVP candidates for the Cleveland Browns in 2022. And that player is Miles Garrett. Now, it might seem weird to try to nominate Miles Garrett when the defense underperformed when the Browns won only seven games this season and when the unit just did not live up to expectations whatsoever. But I maintain that his job was even harder this year because almost everybody else on the defense regressed. He was the only one that was able to maintain his standard of performance, and he did so after flipping his uh, his Porsche and working with a badly sprained left shoulder Uh, and an injured biceps the rest of the season. He went out there. He still had two guys hanging off of him. He still had three guys hanging off of him. He didn't have Jadavian Clowney getting any sacks to take any pressure or heat off of him. And he almost broke the sack record again. So I maintain that, uh, you know, that he did a really, really nice job with what he had to work with and uh, fought through a whole lot of things. And who knows if they would have even won seven games without Miles Garrett. So here's the Miles 
the the interesting Miles Garrett case is he was like the only guy they had in their pass rush, like you were saying, Mary Kay. That that's sort of like you know when when you have the league MVP discussions in the NFL or the NBA, it's always like there's always a guy in there who's like who performed the best with like the least amount of help. And that's, that's like miles Garrett. It's there's just nobody. When you look at sacks, when you look at pressures, when you look at quarterback hits and you look at the Browns, it's, it's miles Garrett and it's literally like nobody else. Um, And it was sort of stunning by the end of the year, just how little help miles Garrett had. What I think is interesting here is I think there are three players on the Browns that if you sat me down and said, I'm going to make the case that this player is in the discussion for being the best at his position. There's three players that fit that, that I wouldn't just roll my eyes and be like, no, we can't have this discussion. And I think we have all three on this list, right? It's, it's Betonio, it's Chubb, and it's Garrett. Now, I'm not saying they necessarily are the best at their position, but I would at least listen to that argument with each of these players mm-hmm. that they are the best among the best at their position or, or in the discussion for the best player at their given position. Um, I, I came into this feeling like Betonio was the guy, so my, I'm just going to second Betonio. That's my, I think we got everybody we needed. So mm-hmm. I don't feel like I have to clean up here. I'm just going to give my, uh, my full support to uh, Ashley's Betonio nomination here. I mean, Doug, what do you think of, of Garrett and his spot so, here? It, it can be hard, right, when you're talking about offensive players and defensive players and trying to compare them. But I, di- I double-checked this stat, and I don't know if it's applicable or not. I did look up games missed after flipping your car, and it's Miles Garrett 1, and it's Joel Batonio and Nick Chubb 0. So <laughs> I don't know how that factors in, but it might be a tiebreaker for me. And I... I think that does matter, Ashley. Like, he did flip his car and miss a game, and he did get benched for a series yeah. to start yeah. the other game. So I, I think you do have to factor those into this discussion, especially if it is most valuable and not just best. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, right? I think with Miles, it's like when we've questioned him this year, it's not so much the stats or the output. It's like, does he still even though, you know, he's been in the league for a while now, need to mature to some extent. And I think, I, I know, I think I, I feel like, yes, because if you're a true leader on a team, you're not doing those things, right? You're not going to get disciplined and you're not going to flip your car in a single car accident. So I I do just think for me, that's going to kind of ding him in this. And also because I nominated Joel Batonio. So that's like who my vote will go towards because I'm going to stick with my stick with my guy. But um, it is tough because like Mary Kay said, those guys who are finalists for defense player of the year, we had that whole discussion yesterday. Like his stats are right up there. Like him and Chris Jones from Kansas City have almost identical stats. And Miles did play one less game because he missed a game after his accident. Um so it is tough, but I think because of those intangible things, um, that definitely dings him for me. Uh, Mary Kay, what, what do you think of the other nominees? What do you think of Betonio? What do you think of Chubb? Well, you know, I was, uh, I'd like to think, a little bit of a driving force in helping to, um, you know, shade the media room a little bit towards Joel, just the same way. Uh, we had to do towards uh, Joe Thomas, because when you have a player who now has just received his fifth 
straight Pro Bowl vote and award, uh, you know, you are starting to head towards, uh, you know, Hall of Fame conversation. And, you know, we would have looked kind of silly not voting Joe Thomas, uh, you know, NFL, I mean, Cleveland Browns Player of the Year award ever. So I feel the same way about Joel. I think Joel deserves it. I think it's easy to overlook offensive linemen. Uh, you know, and I, and I just think there are a lot of reasons why you can uh, give him this award, including, you know, having to block for, uh, you know, for Jacoby for the first 11 games and having to completely shift how you do things. I mean, to block for a mobile quarterback, a dual th- threat quarterback uh, like Deshaun is, it just completely changes everything. Um, but, you know, he stepped in there and, and he did it at a high level and helped block for those 1,500 yards that Nick rushed for. He was a major reason Nick has the 1,500 yards that he does. So I'm going to go with Joel. I I will vote for Joel here. Uh, I think he's, you know, the the best candidate that we have come up with. Okay, so Ashley's sticking with Joel. Mary Kay is voting for Joel. I'm going to vote for Joel. Doug, are we going to make it unanimous, or are you going to cast your vote for somebody else? So... This Nick Chubb thing is very odd to me because he's third in the league in rushing. He's third in the league in carries. More than five yards per rush. He had 14 of 17 games. He had at least 63 yards rushing. If you had 63 yards rushing every week for 17 games, that's 1,071 yards. There are only 10 guys who had that the whole year. So there's only 10 guys who average that. Like he's he's above that 14 to 17, right? This guy is incredibly consistent. But yet there was – am I overstating it? Was this not a thing? I wasn't on the pot every day this year. Weren't people like, oh, why don't they give it to Chubb more? Wasn't that a – isn't that a thing yes. that comes it's up? It's like a discourse on Twitter every day. Mm-hmm. It's like a sleight of hand. It's like, ooh, like you – he's third in the league in carries. And people mm-hmm. think he's 19th in the league in carries. Right. And I don't know if that's a plus for him in an argument like this or a or a minus for him. He's so effective, so productive, so efficient, so consistent. And it didn't really – did it make them better? Did it feel like it down to down? But this guy is a rock. And I guess my question in an argument like this would be, if you had to take one of these guys off the roster next year, who would you take off the roster? You got to pick. One's back, one's not. Who is it? Between Chubb Antonio and Antonio? And oh, take just one. those two. You can keep one and get rid of one. Uh, I, I would keep Antonio. I think you can build a running game with Antonio and without Nick Chubb. Was it the might line not be... It might not be gr- as great, but I think you can build a good enough running game if you have a guy like Nick ba- or I, I just said Nick Nick Batonio, <laughs> a guy like Joel Batonio. Yeah, right. You just combine them into two. Yeah, I think you can build a running game without Nick Chubb. I think Joel Batonio is in. You could uh, you could build a line without Batonio too. I guess now I'm going to argue against myself, but I think Batonio is a more important piece on that line. Um, I, I just think he's a really important piece on that line. All the things he does. So Nick Chubb was still great this year. Was the line great this year? The line has been great in years past. Was it great this year? 
as a unit? Like, how much credit would we give? No. I mean, like, they definitely weren't as good as they wanted to be. I think Joel talks about that. But Joel was still one of the best guys in football. And I think, like, to Dan's point, if you take him off of that group, like, say he's just gone, then you got Jed Wills, who you have questions about. You have Jack Conklin, who, you know, has been good but struggled with injuries. You have Wyatt Teller, who I think we know Wyatt played through an injury this year. That didn't help them. I think that led to some of these poor numbers. Um, and then all the problems they had at center, even though Ethan Posick was really good, they had guys in and out. Um, so the, the numbers, I think, for the line were not as strong as last year across the board, but Joel's numbers were. And Nick's numbers were. So part of my argument is the line we're agreeing was not as good. Nick Chubb was as good. And I think maybe we would have had even more discussion about issues on the offensive line if you didn't have Nick Chubb, because I think it would have shown up a little bit more. But Nick Chubb is still third in the league in rushing, more than five yards per carry, even though we're saying "Eh, the line took a step back this year. So I'm going to keep my vote for Nick Chubb. I love voting for people like Joel Batonio and stuff like this, but I don't want to underestimate the idea that I think Nick Chubb is not just good, but special. And I think they would, they would have a chance to be, to be like, Oh wait. Yeah, no, the running back does matter. Whoops. Okay. Sorry. Jerome Ford's not Nick Chubb. Wow. That was a miss. Like if he wasn't here next year, I think maybe we'd be there. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to give it to, uh, we're going to give it to Betonio, uh, a three to one vote here. Uh, Doug, our lone, um, what, what do they call that in the uh, on the Supreme Court? Dissenter, <laughs> Doug, our lone uh, our lone dissenter oh, here. Sorry, uh, dissenter. <laughs> well, I was trying to be nice, Doug. All right, let's move <laughs> on to the most disappointing player. So here we go, Doug. You said you didn't want to be all positive and happy. So here we go, the most disappointing player. I have re-racked the uh, draft pick lottery board, and I get to go first here. How exciting! Um, the most disappointing player to me. So I, here's how I have to think about this. One, I had to have high expectations for the player, right? I had to believe the player could come in and perform at a high level. So if it's someone that I just didn't think was very good or something like that, like, I'm not going to be disappointed when that player doesn't produce. Um, and then of course they just had to not produce at that level. And I have two people in mind for this. I'm going to take, I'm debating. I guess I get to go first. So I get to take whoever I want. I'm going to nominate Jadavion Clowney for this nine sacks last year. There was a lot of expectation for him to come in and play really well and be that guy opposite miles Garrett. He was not that guy. His sack numbers were down. Now, I do think there were times this year when I was sitting there watching and I thought Jadavion was active and I thought he was impactful and I thought he created pressure, but it just wasn't enough. And then you top it off with the way he left. I think that's part of why I put him above the other player I was thinking of here. And I'm actually curious if the other player is going to get nominated, but I'm going to go with Jadavion Clowney here. Uh, as my most disappointing player. So um, we'll just start here. Does anyone just want to second that right off the bat? Does anyone just want to say, yep, I had Jadavion. That was my guy. Absolutely. He was okay. definitely one of the guys I was thinking about. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, he was one of the guys I was thinking about for this. I think this is, this is it, right? You brought him back hoping you could create the magic 
that he had in 2021, this kind of resurgent season, and he just didn't at all. And he went out with a spectacularly dramatic fashion. So I definitely think that's the guy. 100%. He was my number one guy uh, on this list. Absolutely. Not just because of why, how he was disappointing himself in the production uh, that he had, but just the, you know, the negative vibe uh, that he sort of generated on the defense. I think he was a major reason uh, why the defense wasn't what it should have been this season. If you had known uh, that he was going to be harboring these feelings and that he was going to be upset about the fact that he was getting taken off of the, uh, you know, the weaker link and put on the putting on the tougher guy. If you had known that he was going to do that and take himself out of that game for the most part against the Baltimore Ravens, a game that you lost, you certainly would have gone out and tried to sign a different number two edge. And had you had a different number two edge on this football team this season, uh, one that was able to get more than two sacks for you, uh, you know, that, that would have helped everyone. It would have helped everyone, not just from a pressure standpoint and a sack standpoint and a disruption standpoint, but from a generating a vibe standpoint. I really think that uh, it was pervasive. I think it was destructive. And, uh, you know, we didn't realize the full extent of it. We just did not know. We didn't, we had rumblings that he was unhappy, but we didn't realize the full extent of it until he popped uh, in that week before the, the season finale. And that's when uh, I came to realize just how important it was that he was that disgruntled and just how that infected the rest of the defense. And so instead of a guy that brought out the best in miles, instead of a guy that went out for you game after game and gave his all and did whatever he could for this football team and tried to help keep things afloat until Deshaun Watson came back, you had just the opposite. And I don't know what could be more disappointing than that. So he was my wonder, 100% slam dunk most disappointing. Was he definitely the problem? Or was he? did he open a window to show us what some problems were? Or was it isolated? Like Jadavion had an issue, he was disgruntled. Or did what he say... Tell us, like, uh, man, there's this is there's some problems. There's a culture problem here. I don't know the it's answer. What do you question. think it is? Mary it's Kay? a great question, Doug. It's a great, great question. He opened the window to a systemic problem on defense. There were other guys that felt, you know, disgruntled and about, unhappy about things and the way that they were used, and also somewhat dismayed about the fact that, uh, you know, maybe those in-game adjustments weren't being made the way that they all thought they should be. Nevertheless, I do think that it is incumbent upon your team leaders in the way that Miles Garrett did it to go out there and do everything that you can to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And that's what we saw from Miles. Miles went out there, he played hurt. There were so many games and you know, of course, that you know, flipping his car because he was speeding, you know, that, you know, that's his fault. And he did need to make up for that. Um, but he did. He went out there. 
And he let two guys, you know, hang on him and he still got to the quarterback. And he let sometimes three guys hang on him. And he did not stand up there and uh, and rip Joe at all. He never said, look, we just didn't make any uh, any adjustments to, you know, not being able to stop the run. Or we didn't make any adjustments to uh, what happened when two of the Bengals receivers went out. You know, he didn't do that. He kept his mouth shut. Uh, Jadavian, on the other hand, not only were there little rumblings, you know, in the locker room and to reporters and after games, like little things here and there that, you know, weren't really necessarily, that weren't necessarily on the record. Um, but you could tell that he was, uh, you know, just a negative influence. And it just kind of the picture snapped into focus at the end when we really figured out, you know, what was going on inside of his head. Anthony Schwartz. No, I, uh, I, so now I'm making, uh, I would like to have an Anthony Schwartz conversation at some point in one of these categories. The the guy I do, there's a guy I do think we need to add into this conversation that I will nominate. And it's Wyatt Teller and Wyatt Teller, when he was extended in 2021, made the third highest paid guard in the league. And you compare him to JC Treader and it's like the Browns make a decision. We're going to let JC Treader go. We'll save some money at center. We think we can replace JC Treader save the money and not have a, a big downturn. Why tell her they decide no. And I always thought maybe that'd be a guy they let go. Why tell her they decide, nope, we got to lock this guy down. He's special. 2021 by PFF. And again, it's hard. I'm not an offensive line expert. I'm not going to pretend I break down offensive line film. PFF grades for guards, 2021, he's number one. No, that's wrong. I got the years confused. 2020, he's number one. He's the best guard in the league. 2021, he's fifth. This year, he's 20th. So he's the 20th best guard in the league. He's paid in the top five. And he makes his money in the run game. He was the best run blocking guard in the league two years ago. He was 15th as a run blocker. And I've always had questions about him as a pass blocker. So a guy that you're paying because you think we can't replace him. He's special. And I didn't think he was irreplaceable this year. We talk about the line wasn't as good. I think that conversation certainly includes Wyatt Teller. And they're paying him to be more than that. They're paying him to be a steamroller in this run game. So he wasn't disruptive, right? I mean, he wasn't doing what Jadavion did. But I don't think he achieved the production that they are paying for or expecting. And they're locked into him for a couple more years with a lot of cap money and a lot of cap hit and all that stuff. So he's their guy. And I thought this year he was pretty average. So I will say with Wyatt, I think the biggest thing, like you're you're right on the money with his numbers, Doug. Um, the calf injury, I think, really, really impacted his season. And I think Wyatt's the first person, like I've talked to him about this a lot, about how every offensive lineman is playing hurt. Like we know that's just part of the position. Like Joel Batonio is, of course, going to be feeling it, but still is one of the best guards in football. But I think it was really telling, Dan, was it Miami when Wyatt came in and played like a series and then left and didn't come in the rest of the game? Like yeah, he tried that, to come back from that calf injury. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Like I, I really think that hindered him. And I know like Lance Reisland, when we've talked to him, there are multiple, it felt like multiple games after that calf injury happened where he's like, 
Wyatt normally, there's no way Wyatt Teller is playing like healthy with that calf because he doesn't get beat like this. And I think when you watch back some of these games and you do see him get beat, it definitely, you can make the the excuse be it's the calf. But to your point, Doug, I think there are always going to be things with him that, you know, he, he makes some kind sometimes kind of boneheaded mistakes. He's always going to get the penalties because he gets too handsy in pass pr- protection. Um, so that's kind of life with him. But I do think the calf injury really, really impacted him. And he did try to come back early from it. And maybe that's part of the reason like why his grades and everything went down as much as they did. Yeah, I, th- I think the injury is interesting because, you know, when Wyatt first took over as the right guard, he missed he missed a couple games in 2020. I think one of them might have been, there might have been one or two in there for COVID, but he did miss some games due to injury. Calf, yeah in 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was the other calf. Yes. I, but, I can't remember um, if it was the other it, one. But it was. Yeah. And, and it was kind of like, it was kind of like, okay, it, you know, that's, there's this, there's this standard in Cleveland, right? Because of Joe Thomas. And now because of Joel Batonio and JC Treader, you don't miss snaps when you're an offensive lineman. And I thought Teller sort of embraced that a lot in, in 2021. And I think that's something he kind of learned. Um, I don't know this. I've never talked to him specifically about that, but when a guy goes from, you know, having a year where he's in and out and isn't always on the field and always available to, I'm not going to miss an offensive snap playing next to JC Treader and Joel Batonio. And he, he kind of criticizes a little bit Jed Wills for, you know, when he wasn't getting out there on his ankle. I, I think it's telling when he misses time this season about how serious that injury was. Now that said, he is one of the highest paid guards in the league. So he should be held to that standard. Um, and I'm sure that other guys played through things and Joel played through things. And um, so I, th- I think, I don't think you're wrong to nominate him, Doug, because I don't think he was the player we thought he was this year. And he's being paid to be that player. And if we're being honest, this team went seven and 10. There's probably 10 guys that we could fairly nominate for this award or that if that we should nominate for this award. So I don't, I don't think you're wrong to nominate Teller. I, you know, I'm not going to vote for him here. I think Clowney was worse, but I don't think you're wrong. The other guy I was going to nominate was Kareem Hunt. Um, I just, we just didn't see Kareem Hunt this year. And he came into, in the spring, he looked out of shape. He demanded a trade or requested a trade in training camp. And he was just never Kareem Hunt. And I don't know if he's done or if he just wasn't. I, I just don't believe that Kareem Hunt didn't play hard. Kareem Hunt always plays hard, right? But he just he didn't deliver on what Kareem Hunt can be. So that was the other guy I was going to nominate here um, for this one. Yeah, I mean, I think I actually think there are a number of guys uh, that that we haven't even mentioned. But you know, yeah, Kareem can fall into that category. If you look on defense, there are a number of guys on defense that you could mm-hmm. bring up uh, that fall into this category. Um, you know, guys that got paid, guys that were already getting paid. Uh, guys whose uh, PFF, want, do you want to talk about PFF grades? Uh, I mean, look at Denzel Ward. He plummeted, plummeted down into the depths of PFF grades. Now, I think there might have been some extenuating circumstances with him, too. He missed most of training camp. That usually doesn't translate well for guys. He had a concussion midseason that cost him a number of games. That never helps, uh, but 
for one reason or another, and I attribute some of the first half of the season when he just wasn't looking like himself, to missing most of training camp with that hamstring injury. So I need to see him rebound next year before I'm going to say uh, something is amiss. But, and again, those, as we have always said, always said, those PFF grades don't always match up with uh, what we necessarily see on film or on the field or what the Browns, how the Browns have these guys graded. But if you want to talk about uh, a nosedive, that was one of the biggest nosedives. Does anybody have it handy where you could yeah, look? My, I, I don't have it handy, but I was going to add to like what you're saying. Not only from a stats standpoint did he go down, but I think he's another guy kind of like Miles that I question a little bit. Does he need to mature more? And I think the prime example was after that Jets game, when we're talking about the blown coverages and he's like, well, that's not my guy. And, you know, Grant Delpit gets up there right after him and we bring that up and he's like, I'm not airing that out here, basically. And I just think Denzel didn't handle that right. I always kind of questioned um, if that became an issue. I don't know if it did, but I think it's fair to question it because you have a guy who just got this huge, huge extension who you view as like a cornerstone of your defense who's getting up there and saying that. I think that's that's the sign, too, that something something is amiss here. But I can pull up the PFF stats if Dan didn't get uh, them already. They're really bad. It's a 56.8 grade among corners that played at least 20% of their team snaps this year. That's 97th <laughs> just among cornerbacks. And among cornerbacks that played at least half their team snaps, he's 60th. Mm-hmm. So he's the 60th best corner in the league among full-time dudes. By PFF, and he went from being graded in the 70s every year to being graded in the mid-50s. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think we could go through the whole secondary and just put guys on this list. Um, but Ward, again, sort of like Teller, right? Ward is being paid to be a top corner, and that's that's how he's going to be judged. Um, are we good to vote on that? I, th- I mean, I think Clowney's the winner here, right? Clowney's going to – I'm voting for Clowney. Mary Kay, Ashley, you're going to vote for Clowney. Nods. Uh, Doug? Yeah, no, I think I think Clowney for the whole reason is I, I would vote that way too. Wow, mm-hmm. the unanimous most disappointing player. Congratulations! <laughs> I, I know, right? He gets a uh, he gets a gift certificate to be a Football Insider subscriber. That's we'll have to find true. his next team so we can send him the plaque. <laughs> most disappointing Cleveland Brown. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a strong field, Jadavion, but you came out on top. <laughs> there were a lot of disappointing. Cleveland I mean, Browns it is it is kind of sad that we have more names. I think that we can legitimately discuss for most disappointing player than most important player. I, I, I mean, they went seven and ten. Yeah. There should, I mean, there should be a lot of names on this list. You don't go seven yeah. and ten by accident. Uh, we are not going to spend this much time on every single award. I promise. These were just. Uh, there's going to be some we're going to move through pretty quickly, but we're going to take a break here on the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. When we come back, we will do our Rookie of the Year and the Most Improved Player. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the third annual Cleveland.com awards for the Browns. So far, we have named Joel Batonio the MVP and Jadavion Clowney the most disappointing player. Now we move on to Rookie of the Year. I don't know if we're going to spend a lot of time on this category because I just don't know how many like legit nominees there are for this award, but I will um, again rack up the draft lottery generator and Doug, you get to go first here. Okay. So this is difficult. I would like to nominate Garrett Wilson because I've wanted him to be a Brown. 
<laughs> and in my head, he is a brown. It's like one of those things. Like you fall asleep at night and you think, oh, Garrett Wilson. He looks so good in orange and brown. And then you wake up and think, oh, he wears green. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it's Martin Emerson, right? I don't know. I guess it's Martin Emerson. So I guess I'll nominate him. I mean, is anybody here not thinking Martin Emerson? Is there anyone else we want to make a case for? And I'm, I'm just trying to think. I guess you could. Who we'd even, where we'd even go yeah. with this. Go yeah, ahead, Ashley. I, give us something. Throw a wild like, card out there. The only, the only wild card I can think of currently is Jerome Ford because he revitalized the return game. And don't know, you know, what he could look like in this offense, really. We only got glimpses of that. But, hey, they, they got a returner out of thin air and nothingness. And we talked about this before. He, If Mike Prefer is still around next year, Jerome Ford might be part of the reason why. So that would be my only other wild card, I think, that you can really make a case for in this. But I, it's Martin Emerson. There's... There's no point debating this. It's Martin Emerson. <laughs> that was that was who I was like. That, that's the only other person I would nominate is uh, Jerome Ford, just because of what he did in the kick return game. But it wasn't enough to to beat out Martin Emerson, who Mary Kay had a very, um, I get. I mean, I would say a little surprising how quickly he kind of hit the ground running, but had a very good rookie year. Yeah, he really did have a really nice rookie year. He's got the mentality that you need to be a cornerback. He stepped in there, I thought, and played. Uh, beyond what you w- would expect for a third round pick. I mean, we almost like treated him like he was a first round pick because of the fact that he was their top pick. But when you compare him to how Denzel played as a rookie and how Greg played as a rookie, I think Martin stacks right up with those guys uh, in how they performed in their rookie years. Uh, maybe not quite Denzel because Denzel made the Pro Bowl that year. But uh, I thought Martin was really, really good. And there were times when uh, he had a really tough assignment. And, uh, and, and I really thought that he made the most of it. So much so that, you know, that the future of Greg Newsom as that starting outside corner is in doubt. So, um, so yeah, it's got to be Martin. Okay, that was easy. See, I told you all these awards we wouldn't spend that much time on. Martin Emerson, our uh, runaway winner. Doug, go ahead. Can I bring up a guy that we're not talking about who would have won this award after week one, which is Cade York? Like, are, are we surprised <laughs> that, like, we're not having – I mean, not legitimately. If you would have asked us before the season, then the preseason, after week one, don't we think we would be having a Cade York conversation right here? Well, mm-hmm. the, the flip side of this is could he have been a nominee for most disappointing? I don't think it was bad enough to make him most disappointing. Like, the good kicks he made were really good still and I think that counts for something despite the struggles like I don't know and and again I think it kind of goes back to expectations I mean maybe some people thought immediately he was going to come in and be this savior at the position that people have wanted since Phil Dawson left and and maybe in that case yes but I don't for me the expectations for him were not high enough to consider him seriously for that one I I know that Kevin Stefanski could not lose to Baker Mayfield especially when Baker leads what could have been a game winning drive. Like I know that you like you had to win that game. But I almost feel like that kick was almost like one of the worst things that could have happened to Cade York. Cause it set the bar like the bar was already so like high. Here's a fourth round kicker. This guy's gonna be the savior of the kicking game. Finally the Browns invested in this. And then he does that. 
and it's like the expectations almost went just too it went too high for him i think because uh, even mike prefer was saying like he kind of indicated that he would have preferred not to even have Cade York ever try a field goal over 50 yards this year, unless it was to win a game. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was the, the worst thing. The best moment of Cade York's professional life might've been the worst thing to happen to him. Is that the encapsulation of this season for the Browns? Yes. <laughs> that was the highlight. That was the peak. If you did a chart of the Brown season, the peak is him making that field goal. And Dan just made the case. It's the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> I, I think I'm right on this. All right. Uh, there we go. For nothing. Martin Emerson Jr., our rookie of the year. Uh, let's move on now to the most improved player. Um, Mary Kay, you have not gotten to go first yet. So why don't you go ahead and lead us off on this one? The most improved player in 2022. I had two guys uh, that I wrote down here, um, and, and I'm going to go with DPJ. I think that Donovan Peoples-Jones almost, almost had a 1,000-yard season in his second year as a wide receiver, and he didn't do it uh, just because he had Deshaun Watson all season because he didn't. He had Jacoby Brissett. Uh, now, I actually think that he tailed off at the end. And he could have had that 1,000-yard season. Um, but he it seemed like he, uh, you know, he kind of faltered a little bit at the end where he just, at times, he just kind of, you know, wasn't able to win that contested catch as much as, as he had been doing. Uh, and he dropped a couple of passes here and there. But for the most part, I would say uh, that you have to be pretty darn happy with uh, his role as the number two receiver he ended up with 61 receptions, 839 yards. You got to get a few more uh, touchdown catches out of a guy like DPJ. But I would say that, you know, when I look over the whole roster, in a year where not that many guys improved from the year before, he was one who did. Not a lot here for this category. Donovan Peoples Jones, you mentioned it, uh, 61 catches coming into this season. He had 48 career catches, 839 yards coming into this season. He had 901 yards. So he even almost beat that two year total just this year alone. Uh, you know, Mary Kay, you mentioned the touchdowns. There were a couple that honestly he should have had, right? Mm-hmm. The, the fade in Cincinnati. I still think he should have caught that ball uh, in the, the cold game against New Orleans. I know that was a really tough catch. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think this is good. That That's not who I had, but I think this is a good one. Anybody else have DPJ for this one? I'm yeah, gonna go I think ahead. that's a – I would second that one. Just because, like, I don't know who else who else you can really nominate for this. I know Mary Kay said you had a second person, but I'm, I'm sitting yeah. here thinking and I'm like – I don't, I don't know off the top of my head that I would be able to make a stronger case for anyone other than him. Like, I think you've seen really, like, continual improvement from him over his first three years here. I think he's gone from being this kind of guy you take a flyer on in the draft to a guy who is a key part of their room right now. Um, and I, again, I think this room still feels a receiver short, but they'd be a lot worse off if Donovan didn't have the year that he had for them this year. Yeah. I mean, I'll wait and see if you guys come up with, uh, with the person that the other person that I'm thinking about, and then I'll, I'll lay that out there too. But there was one other guy that, that I think deserves, uh, some serious consideration here. I did not have DPJ. Doug, who did you have? 
So this is hard because it's a guy who was his first year in Cleveland, but I think he played the best he ever played in the NFL with his Eason Pothich. That if, if this was his, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Nick Harris got hurt. It was like, okay, well, it's good they have this guy. It was like, oh, no, no, he's good. And then when he got hurt, then it was like, oh. So, like, he was – like, wasn't he – pretty darn solid mm-hmm. and certainly oh, yes. again not the end all be all definitely the best graded pff grade of his career mm-hmm. i thought yeah. he was like a pretty he was one of the best centers in the league this year like a and i don't that's certainly not where we were it was like a nice veteran acquisition if you need him kind of thing but he wasn't planned to be a starter and then he wound up with what ashley just said so i'll go with him that's a really good one and one i didn't consider and ashley i know in training camp, we would sit there and watch, and we'd be like, "Man, if Nick yes. Harris goes down, what are they? What would they do at center?" And then Ethan Postick comes in, and now it's almost like, "Oh, you better resign Ethan Postick because he was really I good." I know. Well, there was that one day in training camp where Nick Harris like exited for something. It was like a small injury, not when he hurt his knee, you know. And um, Ethan Postick came in, and there were two bad snaps in a row. And Dan and I stood there on the side and watched them, and they yanked him out of the eleven on eleven that they were doing. And like, I forget who they threw to, threw in there, if it was Yelda or if Dawson Deaton had it been hurt yet and it was him, but there were, it, it was just, I think a pleasant surprise. And I think what's so interesting about him and I've written about this and I wrote about him last week after getaway day is the fact that he's so big for a center. He's six, six. Those guys are normally not that big. Nick Harris is nowhere near that big. I think he's like six, one or six, two, but he can move like he pulls alongside Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller, which is crazy, especially considering how athletic Joel is um, and that finesse that he has. So like Dan said, I think he kind of forced his hand. I know when we talked about categories beforehand, I was actually going to nominate him. I said we could nominate him for best acquisition, potentially, given how much he meant to this line. Um, I know there's a handful of guys who are going to get nominated there, but he was critical, 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 given how early that Nick Harris injury happened. You know what I think uh, this goes to show you is the impact that offensive line coach Bill Callahan has on these players. Uh, he took Ethan Posick from a player who uh, only got his starting job back in Seattle last year because of injury. Uh, he had to play the last final, uh, the last 10 games of the season, I think, because somebody else uh, kind of got hurt, I think is what happened. Uh, so he comes here. He gets thrown in there, and once again, he has to block for two different quarterbacks, two different completely different styles, and I think uh, it just shows you how good Bill Callahan is to make Wyatt Teller into what Wyatt has become, to help Joel, Bac- Joel Batonio be uh, a perennial all-pro, um, to get the most out of Jack Conklin, to keep bringing Jed up the learning curve, and he's still a work in progress. But I do think that it just, you know, they have a gem in Bill Callahan, and they are lucky right now that he is not going anywhere. Yeah, well, and, you know, they obviously they extended him. Like, that was <clears throat> that's how important he is to, to this whole thing. Um, so my nomination, this is, we talk, this is an award show, right? This is a story of redemption. This is a oh. story of, this is a story of two people who previously maybe didn't see eye to eye coming together, someone recognizing that maybe, maybe I was just a little bit wrong about you. I am nominating. Hugh Jackson? Are you nominating Hugh Jackson? <laughs> I'm what? I think he won like three games at Grambling this year, which is more than the two years, the, the one in 31. No, 
I am nominating David and Najoku. So this is yeah. such a story of redemption that I think I actually said his name right this time too. I'm nominating <laughs> David Najoku. Now, do I think David Najoku is a $14 million a year tight end? That's not the discussion we're having. I saw a better version of David Najoku than I've seen in the previous, however many years of his career. I thought he was, I thought he was good this year. I thought he was, I thought he made impactful catches. I thought he showed some signs of what he can be. Um, I still have questions if he can ascend to that level of, I don't like to use Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is a first ballot hall of famer, one of the best tight ends ever. But if he can ascend to that level of a Mark Andrews, of some of these other elite tight ends in the league, but I think he's a really good player. And I, I think there's something there. And I think the Browns did the right thing by keeping him. Even if it's at a little higher number than I would have paid, I think it's good to have David Njoku around. So that, and, and I thought this was the best year of his career. Statistically, mm-hmm. there are a few areas where it wasn't a career high, but I thought this was the best year of his career. So I'm going to put David Njoku here as the most improved. I think that's a good, I think that's a good candidate. And as far as the money is concerned, even though it seems like a lot of money, I just don't think when we look, when we get down the road a year or two, it's going to look like a lot of money at all. Uh, I mean, it, it's really not an overwhelming amount of money for a player who can impact you, you know, your offense in the way that he can and will. So I, I'm just not too freaked out about the money. And I, I think he's going to live up to it. I, I really do. I think that uh, he's got to look it in a little bit better. Um, he, he's got to, he's got to concentrate at times a little bit better than he does. You know, that George Kittle catch that we saw, uh, this past weekend and David had one of those in the end zone. That one handed catch was absolutely spectacular, uh, in the back of the end zone. But, um, but he needs to make a few more of those like eye popping catches, but, and, but I think he will, I think he will with Deshaun. I think those two guys are going to, um, really be dynamite together. So this, I think this is a good candidate here, Dan. Was that, that was that your second? Uh, oh, go ahead, Doug. No, it wasn't my second. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> like he was eighth in receiving yards among tight ends this year. So that's pretty good. But especially after he came back from the, he was much better before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then he kind of fell off after. And then also, but also, the back half of that is Deshaun, and they're trying to figure out the offense and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Dan, did you did you feel like game to game, down to down, it was like, oh yeah, David and Joku, watch out, baby, like he's gonna, or was it like, ah, oh, there's a, oh, that was good, and then like mm, nothing for a while, and oh, that was no. good, because like, he, no, and I, but I've never felt that way about him. Like I've never felt like, yeah, and you still don't. So he didn't improve, <laughs> but, I, but I feel like, but I feel more confident in him after this season than I felt before. I don't know that he's ever going to ascend to that level of again some of the guys we've we've mentioned. But I think he's a, I think he's good. Like I think he's a good tight end, and I do agree with Mary Kay that money with the importance of that position, and I think people are really going to start paying some real money at that position here soon that 14 million a year might end up getting dwarfed by the end of that contract. Um, so it might just be a nothing. Um, so I, I, I just think he had his best year and a lot of it is eyeball test. A lot of it is what I've watched since he came into the league versus what I watched this year. 
I, I just, I think this is a completely subjective opinion on my part. Like some people might look at it and say, oh, we always knew this was there and we knew this is who he could be. And other people might, might say, oh, it was kind of the same as every other year. But I, I just, the player I watched this year felt different than the player I've watched since he came into the league. His stats are basically exactly the same as his second <laughs> like, year. Like I, exactly. I know, I know. That's what when I, when I was trying to when I was trying to think of a name, like I pulled up his PFF and I'm like, oh, let me see if I can like get some analytics arguments for this. And that was what I noticed. And I'm like, I feel, but I'm like, I also get what Dan is saying because there were moments this year where I'm like, yes, like this is what they thought this guy could be. But I think like you still need to see the other step but then it like becomes like okay yes they draft these guys young and david is a prime example of that and he's you know he's still a young guy even though he's played six years but it's like how long does it need to go on before you're like like i saw a tweet about this that made me laugh i don't remember who tweeted it but it's like man that seventh year of david Njoku is gonna be special and it's like kind of like i get why people they feel like that but there is that caveat that he's younger but i'm like i don't know how long we stay on this train. Like, I think it might be valid to given his age, but it is an interesting thought exercise. Like, I think we're creeping up on that if we're not there already. Well, think about the fact that he has not been the starting tight end very often. He was the starting tight end this year. And I believe he was the starting tight end that year that you're talking about the second year, um, Doug, he was the starting tight end uh, where he had some production. So, I mean, you can't really compare you know, necessarily last year or the year before where, you know, he hardly played in some of those years. So I think people forget about that part of it, you know, in the years where he gets his chances and his opportunities, uh, generally he produces fairly well. He still has a way to go. He still has to make uh, the easy catch. Sometimes he's getting better at the more difficult catch. He's very good at blocking. Um, but he just needs to be a little bit more consistent. And I think he will be pretty good with Deshaun Watson. I will say we talked a lot in the preseason about who's their second receiver. Their second receiver is David Njoku. And I don't think it felt like that to me. Like, oh, who's their second? I was like, well, okay, Cooper's not open on this play. Oh, there's Njoku. Like by our own standard that we applied early, like, I guess he had a good year for a tight end, but he, I didn't feel like he was consistently like changing the offense. I don't know. See, when, I would when, not, I would not apply this to him. I'm not saying he had a bad year. I just didn't think of him this way. I, I think that's why it's subjective, though. I think for me, this was in, this was a really improved year for David Njoku. Um, for other people, it might have been just everything they've expected. I don't think I would have said, Oh, he's your wide receiver. Like I feel good with him as wide receiver two coming into this year. So, so I don't know that, that. I guess that wasn't the standard that I that I held him to. Um, I don't think he's going to win this award. <laughs> Mary Kay, who was your other one? Though I want to know. I you actually guys, thought it was going to be Njoku. No, you guys are going to say, "Oh yeah, we forgot about this guy." Are you ready to slap your forehead? Oh yeah. Sayoni <laughs> Taki Taki. Come on. We're, that is a good one. That's a good, that's a good one, one, Mary Kay. Came that is such through. a good one. He came through as a really, really good linebacker and, and really I, surprised everybody. Like, he came out of nowhere, uh, and especially at a time when they really needed him to. And unfortunately for him, he ended up tearing his ACL. But it was like, whoa, they have a good yeah. linebacker here, right? 
I am I am embarrassed of myself. I've written a lot about the linebackers over the last two weeks, just by coincidence. I wrote about Sione Takitaki <laughs> and wrote this basically exact thing. Like he became an every down linebacker for them, which it, like Mary Kay said, it was huge because of how many season ending injuries they had. They lost five starters to season ending injuries at various points. He was unfortunately one of them. I think maybe potentially for the Browns, you know, they might be able to you know, it could be good for them as he enters free agency. And he has alluded to this, that he knows he lost some money by getting hurt, but he definitely proved that, proved some things this year. I thought. Mm -hmm. I have a different slap your forehead guy that when I said, (laughs) Oh, I was like, Oh wait, yes, no, this guy, Mary Kay. I can't believe we forgot about it. This is who Mary Kay is going to say, because it's a guy who I think indisputably had his best NFL season. Jacoby Brissett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one, Doug. That's a forehead that's a, slapper. That's a good one too. Yeah. That's a forehead slapper right there. Yeah. Oh man, that's yep. a good one. That is a good one. Very good one. Did he? This... I mean, especially like compared to expectations, production compared to expectation. Yeah. Both based on our perception and what he had done in the league previously. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't people talking about him now that he should be a starter next year in the league? That's not where people were going in this year. Yeah, you know what the the I always think of when we do this category, I always like forget about the guys that weren't here on this football team the year yeah. before. I think of it in terms of which Browns player improved over his 2021 season in 2022. So I think that's why I forget about the Jacoby Brissett's and the Ethan Posix because they weren't here the year before and I don't think of them in those terms, but they should fit the, they should be in the category. I mean, they shouldn't be precluded just because they were not here. Yeah. This is why well, we need you, Doug. You think outside the box. That was good. And we do have the best off-season acquisition category still coming mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, we've, I think we've come up with a couple nominees for that. And as someone who is just doing this on the fly, I appreciate all of you for throwing these names out there. Of players <laughs> who were not previously on the team. Um, Okay, I guess we got to vote on this. So, and by the way, I'm going to put this out to our texters after after we finish with this. I'm going to put all our nominees out and polls to our texters. I want to see what they have to say in this category, actually, specifically. So, we have Donovan Peoples Jones. Uh, we have Ethan Posick. We have David Njoku. I'm going to include Sione Takitaki. I'm going to include Jacoby Brissett. So, Mary Kay, is your vote still DPJ? Or are you going to change it? Mm, 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 mm. This is, now this is tough because, uh, you know, I didn't really, I hadn't really been thinking about some of those other guys. Um, and I could be swayed to, because actually, if you're just thinking in terms of sheer raw improvement from their year before, regardless of where they were, you know, you really do have to be thinking about, you know, Sione Takitaki went from, you know, being a, a good, decent linebacker to being a really good starting every down linebacker. Jacoby Brissett, you know, became a a good quarterback to the point where he may end up, somebody might look at him uh, for their starting job this year. And, um, and Ethan Posick will be, and I wrote some of this today and have been writing this, may have priced himself right off the Cleveland Browns. He's going to be, uh, he's going to get paid. He's going to get paid. He's going to be the hot, you know, the most sought after center in free agency if he gets to that point. So a case can be made for any, 
actually, I think those are probably the top three candidates now. Because although DPJ, you know, did improve, did he improve as much as those three guys did? I don't know. I think we need to open up the discussion just a tiny bit more. I'm going to vote. Well, Doug, are, are you? Do you have a vote? I think I'm going to vote for Brissett, and, and I think it's the, the farthest above like what we thought this guy was going to be, and like the impact of that. So, um, I'm between Brissett and Posick, but I'll vote for. I'm going to vote for Brissett actually. I. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to vote for DPJ. I think, the, for I think the year, I think the year he had was so much above. Like it was more than just, Hey, I made three memorable catches. It was like, Hey, mm-hmm. I'm like a legit guy. Am I a number two? I don't know, but I'm like, a, I'm a legit guy. Ashley. I'm, I'm voting for Taki Taki now that I feel like an idiot for forgetting him in the first place. Um, and I just think he is so far above. He exceeded any expectations I could have had for him. Um, so I think he deserves a vote in this. Well, Mary oh. Kay, you are the tiebreaker and you get to who, I mean, whoever you vote for, unless you're going to throw, you know, throw somebody that we haven't discussed out there, you're going to pick the winner here. You know what? I'm going to go with my first, the first thing I said was DPJ. Uh, I'm not going to change my answer on the test. I think you can still make a case for that. He did turn out to be uh, a pretty darn good number two receiver. And, uh, you know, that's pretty good when you're, when you're coming from being a sixth round pick and uh, he, he made some pretty darn incredible catches. And so I'm going to stick with him. I just celebrated on the, the zoom here that we're on as if I, <laughs> as if I nominated DPJ. I, I did not. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move kind of quickly through this one. The most likely player to break out in 2023. Uh, Draft generator going here. Pick one is going to go to Ashley. So this is anyone, right? Like, it doesn't have to be a rookie. Any any player. It can be a a 10th-year guy. It can be Joel Batonio. Maybe he's going to (laughs) become the best guard ever. Um, You know, we talked about... A lot of defensive guys I know yesterday in in terms of who we think could potentially stand to benefit from Jim Schwartz. And I believe Mary Kay was the one who brought this guy up when we did talk about rookie. I think Perrion Winfrey has a chance to make a big jump if Jim Schwartz can kind of get the some of the knuckleheadedness and, and you know, becoming a pro get him along that path just because of how much he values defensive tackles. How much are they going to be able to, like compared to what he did this year, I think we could see more from him last year because you did see glimpses with him later on. Um, And I think defensive tackles are just going to become a lot more important in this defense. So I think he's a guy who could potentially make a big jump under Jim Schwartz. Doug, who do you have? So I know you said you wanted to do this quickly. I feel like this is almost like a separate pod. They have a lot of established guys now. And maybe it's just because they didn't have a first-round pick last year. But I felt like in previous years, as this young core was growing, we would have been fighting over like, oh, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy's going to break out. And now I feel like a lot of their guys of the top, and this is supposed to be how it is, but they had been young, the top 12 guys on each side of the ball, most number of snaps, 
So 12 and 12, those 24 players, 13 of those 24 have five or more years in the league at this point. So I don't know. How can you pick a guy with five years in the league to be like, oh, he's going to break out unless it's David and Joku because we'll be picking him in year 14. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> wait till he gets to his third decade in the league. Then. <laughs> but other, and, so like, and, he'll, gotta, and he'll only be like 26. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll look like he's 19. So. Like these guys, like who, who, who is it? Do I think Grant Delpit is going to be like a much different player this year than he was this year? Do I think Greg Newsom is? We all like JOK. We all would have picked JOK a year ago. Well, JOK like kind of went backward a little bit. Do we think J? So I don't know. Can I make, can I say their second round pick? No. The guy they're going to pick in the second round and forced to play. That's the guy who's going to break out. Because like what I vote, I guess I could vote for Martin Emerson, but like we already think he's good. How much break? I mean, he's just going to keep getting better. Is that breaking out? Do I, I guess, does that mean I think he could be like a pro bowl level player? I guess, I guess I'll pick Martin Emerson, but I feel like one of the things with this team right now is in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, they kind of are who they are. So part of this is if you are counting, oh, they're 7 and 10. Okay, well, of the John Watson. I thought, but the rest of it, if you think that a lot of these guys, oh, well, that guy's going to be something that he's not yet. I feel like a lot of these guys are who they are. So I guess I'll take Martin Emerson. You know I what, feel Doug, like – go, go ahead, Barry Kane. It's, I, you're, up, you're up next too. So. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, Doug, that I, I, I kind of disagree that they have a lot of guys I, – I think they have a lot of guys – who they don't know who they are yet. I actually think that it's a pretty young team in a lot of areas. You've got guys like, uh, as Ashley mentioned, Perry on Winfrey. You've got Alex Wright. Um, you've got, you know, David Bell. You've got, you know, even, you know, it just seems to me like there's still a lot of, you know, young guy. Martin fits into that category. JOK. I don't know that we know who a lot of these guys are yet. Those first three guys you mentioned, were they good this year? Is the, did they show anything on the field that makes you think they're going to break out next year? No, no, not necessarily. But but I mean, like, that's... why would I think David Bell's going to break out? I don't. I don't see anything from David Bell that makes me think he's going to be good. I mean, that's, Winfrey. That's what we're asking. PFF right? I mean, in the thirties. No, but if, that's if my this point, were a separate, right? if this were a separate podcast, I'd be saying, Doug, do you think David Bell can break out next year? And you'd say no, and Mary Kay no. would say yes, and here's why. I mean, that's that's sort of what this but, is, right? But, but the thing I'm talking about is like when, when Denzel Burke uh, – Denzel Burke, he plays for Ohio State. Denzel Ward and <laughs> Nick Chubb and Miles Garrett and, and all those guys were young. It was like, oh, you can see it coming. I know they do have some young guys, but I don't have the ho, ho, ho. I can see it coming with as many of those guys as you usually do. And then because a lot of those guys have become what they're going to become. And I don't – what reason other than Jadavion Clowney's not going to be here. They're going to have to play him more. I don't know. Did did Alex Wright like show a bunch of stuff this year that makes you like, oh, wait for that guy next year? I mean, they'll play him more, whatever. I don't know. Well, I do think, but like, in terms with, of like, I, I think it's breakout. Like, like when you drafted Alex Wright, like they drafted him knowing it was going to be a guy they had to develop. So like maybe he's not starting on that same floor as Miles Garrett is as a player like Miles Garrett or Denzel Ward, but. I would argue that the space between his floor and ceiling is more unknowable. Like you don't know yet. And I think because of his size, because of his length, 
because of the fact like he was essentially, you know, he didn't do a lot rushing the passer this year, right? Like we all know that the stats weren't very good. Miles Garrett was essentially on an island. Like there's room for him to grow potentially in a system where Jim Schwartz is purposefully isolating those guys if he runs a similar system to what he has in the past. So I don't know. I think just with him and with Perrion Winfrey to some extent too, who I think maybe has some more issues, but again, like we knew in college, he could rush quarterbacks and do things like that. There is just potential for them because there was more unknowable about them and their potential than like these guys who they were drafting number one overall or really high in the first round. So that's kind of how I was looking at it. Yeah, I, I made a list. Alex Wright, Isaiah Thomas, Perion Winfrey, Greg Newsom, JOK, Grant Delpit, Martin Emerson. And I put Grant Delpit in there because Grant is coming off of an Achilles injury, and this was really his first full, full season as a starter right from the jump. Uh, Martin Emerson, Cade York, I think they have a lot of guys on this team. David Bell, um, I, I think there's a, a lot of guys on this team uh, that we don't know who they are yet. And you're right, Doug, we don't necessarily have flashes of greatness from them or any evidence whatsoever that they have the potential to break out. But I don't think this is an established football team per se. They have their core. I think they have their core group that is supposed to take them to the um, – oh, Jerome Ford fits in here uh, – to the Super Bowl. But I think they have a lot, a lot of unknowns and a lot of really super, super young guys that, you know, we won't know for at least another two years who they are going to be. And I have somebody that I think that I'm going to choose for for my – breakout category that I haven't mentioned yet. But and, and, and by the way, like as, as Mary Kay's going through that list, I mean, there's guys on that list that I would never nominate for this because, because of what you said, Doug, like, do I, like, do I believe a four, six 40 wide receiver is going to break out next year as a slot receiver on this team? No, probably not, but I'm also not going to nominate him. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to nominate. I think there are some guys on this team that I think can level up next year not everyone on that list, you know, I'm kind of with you. I don't know if Alex Wright is ever going to be that guy. So I'm, I certainly wouldn't nominate or vote for him, but um, I, I mean, I'll just say it. The person I was going to nominate was Grant Delpit. Mary Kay, who are you going to nominate? I was going to nominate wide receiver, Michael Woods. I think he's got Donovan people, Jones potential to step up and contribute. I think he was really raw. I think he missed most of training camp once again with, I think his was a really bad hamstring injury. So he really was not able to, uh, you know, to get in there in, in training camp and show what he can do. Just, just when he was about to do that, he was looking really good in training camp. And, and he basically, it seems like he like tore that hamstring and uh, pretty significantly. And I think that was a huge setback for him. So when I look at this group and when I look at what he can do and I look at the skill set of Deshaun Watson, I see Michael Woods as someone with a lot of upside in this particular offense. And he only had like five catches or something like that uh, this season. But he looked like, you know, he you know, the moment didn't seem too big for him most of the time. And he made a couple of really nice catches. So I'm going Michael Woods here. And then just real quick. Mike, the case for Delpit is part part of this is just, you know, having talked to Lance Reisland, who's really smart and knows knows a lot. And I think is really honest in his assessment of guys. 
he really believes that Grant Delpit can thrive in a Jim Schwartz defense as an in-the-box safety. And I think we haven't seen it for a full season from Delpit yet. I think he, he I think he went from being like a guy who could have been most disappointing to in the second half of last season, like, oh, this is kind of what we thought Delpit could be. So it's sort of a flip of the coin here. Is he either is he gonna take that leap, which I think he will in Jim Schwartz's defense, or is he gonna revert to being a guy that oh man, they really should have taken Antoine Winfield with that pick. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna gamble on the former, uh, just because I think this system is gonna help delp it. So Doug, anything to add? So I just it's just I I do think that are different I mean, when you look at their top draft picks last year, right? So Martin Emerson was their was their highest draft pick. And then it is like Alex Wright, Perrion Winfrey, David Bell, Perrion Winfrey, Cade York kind of stuff, right? And I'm just looking. This is just one thing. There are 69 rookies who defensively played at least 20% of their team snaps. 69 rookies just on defense. Perrion Winfrey of those 69 had the 60th grade. Perrion Winfrey was 60th and Alex Wright was 64th. And those are the, those are their, like their, their second and fourth picks last year, right? And they did play 20% of the snaps, but like they weren't good. And because this has been a team that has built through the draft for the last couple of years, there just usually are more guys while you're building through the draft that showed more, I think, early on. So, yes, they'll get opportunities. Yes, there are some young guys, but I just don't. To, if, the, if the Browns are going to be better next year, I don't think it's going to be because a bunch of these young guys broke out. I think it's going to be because their core older guys played to their potential, right? Like, I don't. Whereas that's not been the story of this team for a couple of years. So that's why I feel differently about it. And I feel like there are some categories we're doing here where there's lots of nominees. And I just don't feel in terms of really having reason to think about a breakout, there's not as many nominees in this to me. Go ahead. Can, I make, can I make an argument a little bit out of the box argument for another player who we have talked about, but not for this category? Because I want to bring up the potential that Miles Garrett breaks out in a way that we haven't seen under Jim Schwartz because of this defense. And like Jim Schwartz got up there last week in front of us and said, like, yeah, Miles is, you know, 16 sacks the last two years is a lot, but basically that they're going to try to get him more. And I think like when we talked about Miles, you know, not being a finalist for the defensive player of the year, I think if all of this goes according to plan that miles can still get to another level on the field. I think he can get to another level maturity wise. And I think even though he's already really good, I could potentially consider that a breakout year. If he's, you know, wins the sack title next year or something, or is a finalist or wins the defensive player of the year award. So I think he can get to another level. That's just high enough that I would nominate him for this. Yeah. So like miles Garrett starts the, like the JJ Watt run that he had in like the middle of the, the decade, last decade. Uh, Mary Kay, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say there's another player that I think we could at least um, kick around, and it was somebody that we thought probably would have been the breakout player this year, and it didn't happen for one reason or another, uh, and that's JOK. I mean, we don't know exactly what, and he really has the potential to go from, like, really not a ton of production yet to being pretty darn special. So I don't know how um, Jim Schwartz will view him or use him, uh, but I still think that he's someone that has plenty of upside from 
from what we've seen so far. All right, let's vote on this. So here are the nominees. Perry on Winfrey, Miles Garrett, uh, Doug grudgingly, Martin Emerson, uh, Mary Kay, uh, Michael Woods, and Jeremiah Wusakoromoa, and I nominated Grant Delpit. So let's see. Ashley, you had you went first on this, so you can go ahead and make our first vote. Um, I think my very impassioned argument at the end convinced myself to vote for Miles Garrett here. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna stick with stick with my guy that I know. <laughs> All right, Doug, you get our second vote. I, I, I think because I just don't know where else to go, I actually think I'll go with Ashley because I think that case is a is an out-of-the-box case. And I could see us being a year from now being like, yeah, well, he was good before, but this was definitely better. But I also feel like we've kind of done that the past three off-seasons. And it's always been good, but we haven't had that. But the Jim Schwartz factor, I think there's an actual reason it could happen. I'll go with Ashley. Note for the fourth annual Cleveland.com Browns Awards. You can only be nominated a certain number of times for the, the breakout Yeah, that's award. true. Oh, Actually, I changed up what I said. I'm going with Ashley. I thought Ashley had a really good year this year. Thank you, Doug. I think she's working the locker room. I think she's really finding her voice covering oh, this dude, team. This I so think nice. she has a chance. I think she has a chance next year to just blow people away. But if I prove you wrong just out of spite, I don't know if that would benefit If Ashley me, just takes – Ashley stops showing up to work. I'm not going to come yeah. anymore. I'm just, see you guys in uh, – see you guys at training camp. I'm not going to do this podcast yeah. anymore until then. But, uh, yeah, you know, I guess got to prove Doug wrong because that's what I live to do. I'm very intrigued by the Miles Garrett um, – by the Miles Garrett argument. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Delpit. Mary Kay, what do you think? So, you know what? I just wrote a whole entire column two days ago about why Miles Garrett should have been a finalist for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He, he had 16 sacks, which tied uh, his club record. It was, he was double teamed almost more than anyone and had a pass rush win rate uh, that was tied for second in the NFL. He was pro football focuses number one edge rush rusher in the NFL next gen stats had him off the charts in all different kinds of things. Um, I just don't know that the ceiling is that much higher for miles Garrett, even if he did win NFL defensive player of the year next year, I think he was almost close to at least being a finalist this year, two more sacks and he would have been right there, right? Two more forced fumbles. He would have been right there. Uh, if the team had won some football games, he definitely would have been right there. So I know that Jim Schwartz is really good, but I don't know that the upside for Miles is as high as, uh, you know, is, is as high as it is for some other players on the team right now. So I think I'm going to stick with, I'm going to go with Dan's Grant Delpit because I, uh, you know what? If Lance were on this pod, he'd go with Grant. So, <laughs> um, and, but I do think that that Grant does have the you know some some pretty high upside. Like he can really be different than than he was this year if he plays well from the jump. So because I think the ceiling is higher, I, I'm going to go with Grant. And because I have the tiebreaker, it's going to be Grant. Well, actually, it wasn't a tie though. Oh, it wasn't. Oh wait, yes, it was. It was two to two. 
Yeah, and Mary Kay's the yeah, tiebreaker. So, Mary Kay's <laughs> the tiebreaker. so Grant comes from behind. Dan English, was an math. English major, major everyone. Just, <laughs> it's okay, Dan. <laughs> two plus major. two. <laughs> two equals difficult. two. Nobody, nobody told me I'd have to do math counting up votes. Not fair. Mm-hmm. All right. Very we are gonna take we are gonna take another break here on the awards show. We have got best off-season and worst off-season acquisition defining moment and biggest miss of the year coming up all right welcome back to the third annual cleveland.com browns awards show so uh again our mvp joel petonio our most disappointing player jadavion Clowney, our rookie of the year martin emerson our most improved donovan peoples jones are most likely to break out in 2023 after some uh some counting problems i opened the wrong envelope <laughs> Is what happened. Um, Wasn't it Jimmy Kimmel that did that? Grant Delpit are most likely to break out in 2023. So, just like the Oscars, we are going long here. We got four more awards to go. And we will start with the best off-season acquisition. So, our first up here is going to be... Ashley, you went first last time, so you don't get to go first again. Uh, I get to go first. And I'm just going to, I'm going to steal the answer from earlier. I'm going to say it's Ethan Posich. It probably wasn't expected, but, and Ashley's mad because I stole this. I stole this pick from her and I stole the name from her. I can tell. Um, Ethan Posich, starting center, should be your starting center next year. Could be your starting center for the next, I don't know, however however many years. Um, Headed to free agency. I'm curious to see how that plays out. I'm sure the Browns will be able to bring him back. Uh, but I think he's your best acquisition just because of what he meant to this football team this year and how important he was. And you saw the drop-off, too, when uh, when Yelda Froholt was the starter. So he is my pick here. Doug, who do you like here? Yeah, Mark Cooper. Mm-hmm. Now, so. now you just made me look stupid. This is, mm. this is so annoying because <laughs> I, I got your yourself. number one pick, and my two guys I was going to take both just went, so – I'm mad at you now, Dan. This is ridiculous. Yeah, whatever it was, was it two fifth rounders? I think the I think the Amari. I don't. Was it even was it even that itself. much? It was it was it's one fifth rounder. He, he was my he rounder. was he would have been my number one yeah. pick too. Amari Cooper. I mean, you got Amari Cooper for a fifth round pick. I mean, it was kind of akin to signing a free agent because it was more really about the money uh, than it was so, more so about the the draft pick per se. But I think he was just phenomenal. You know, I mean to have. Nine touchdown catches, and he was hurt for the second half of the season. He played hurt. He was really, really good. Um, he would have been my my first pick. God, Ashley, yeah, go ahead. Just pile on. I, I am going to pile on because at first I was Amari Cooper, and then I thought I could get away with Ethan Posick, and then you took Ethan Posick, and then I'm so confused, and then I'm like, great, don't give me the second pick. And no, he went right to Doug, and Doug takes Amari. Um, I think Amari Cooper lived up to the hype, and I think, like Mary Kay said, that an injury like the one he had would have taken out a lot of guys. A lot of guys would have shut it down for the rest of the year. And Amari Cooper not only played, he, like, performed in terms of his output despite playing like a shell of himself a lot of the time. So I think he's the real deal. I think we would have no idea what direction this receiver room is going in without him. Um, so I think he's the guy here for this. All right. Well, then this ended up being quick because I'm 
now that it's voting time, I'm actually going <laughs> to cast my vote for Amari Cooper. So, and I think the three of you are all going to vote for Amari Cooper. So, hey, at yeah. least I got Ethan Posick a, a mention here on, yeah. uh, for, for best acquisition. I just wish it wouldn't have been first. <laughs> he, <laughs> he deserves a mention. I really, I really thought I gamed the system there. Uh, apparently, yeah. I completely forgot that they acquired Amari Cooper last off. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. 12, you forgot two plus in the two league. equals five. Four. <laughs> twelfth in the league in receiving yards, and they, they had two games where they forgot he existed, and he still was twelfth yeah. in the league in receiving yards. So, yeah. All right, let's move on then to the worst off-season acquisition, and let me uh, let me reset here, um, Doug. You're up first on this one. So, like, I mean this, but I don't mean it. But I'm going to vote for Deshaun Watson because they did something that made people hate their team, at least some fans. And so I want that opinion to be represented. It's not being heard by people who would agree with it because they might have bailed on being a Cleveland Browns fan as a result. But whenever you can make an acquisition that causes people who have loved your team for decades to no longer follow your team, it at least deserves mention in a category like this. So – that's my pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people that are rooting for the Bengals this weekend because maybe the Browns made that acquisition uh, back in March. Ashley, you are up next. Well, we already talked about this, guys, so I won't relitigate the whole thing. But I'm going to say Jadavian Clowney may have been a mistake to bring back. You know, he obviously was here two years in a row, but they did. He was a free agent. They re-signed him to another one-year deal. So he does count in my mind as an acquisition. I think maybe he could have left well enough alone and things would have been a lot different for both parties in that situation. And on top of him being our most disappointing player this year, I think this is fair to consider him for this one too. Mary Kay, who do you have? Yeah, I, I would have said Jadavian too. And I can't really think of anybody else uh, that that I would have put in this in this category in terms of worst off-season acquisition unless unless Perrion continues to, you know, not live up to expectations and remains, you know, unable to reach the level of maturity that they need him to. I don't think there was anything else that fit the category of like a really bad off-season acquisition. So I'm, I'm going to say Jadavian, and I didn't think so at the time. I was all for re-signing Jadavian Clowney. But in retrospect, it turned out to be a disaster. I think these are all really good. And I'm, I'm just double-checking some of their free agent signings just to make sure there's not somebody I forgot about. Um, and, and none of them really rised. Like, Jakeem Grant got hurt. Taven Bryan, nobody expected Taven Bryan to be much of anything. It, you know, it would have been a surprise. There's, there's not anyone on here that jumps out to me. Is there some weird case we could make about not picking a player at 44 and trading that pick? Oh, is there yeah, like, not picking George Pickens. George, not like, George picking George Pickens <laughs> is their worst yeah, could, could, or or yeah. even and I, and I know I know he didn't play this year, um, but I still think he could be really good. John Mechie, I, I think there were guys there. I know Sky Moore was a little bit of a disappointment, but I think there's there's guys there that you could have taken at 44. Um, so I wonder if like can their worst acquisition be not making an acquisition and instead, and instead trading out? Can can we throw that out there? 
We could. Like the, the hard part of that is they moved down to 68, and then the Emerson pick seems good. Yeah. So, like, that, it's almost like, well, just pretend Emerson's their pick at 44. And it's like, oh, that was a good pick at 44. So, mm-hmm. as much as I want to pound the table, and we'll keep pounding the table for George Pickens, I do think I do think hitting on Emerson lessens that. But I think it's a good way to think of it, Dan. Okay, so our nominations then, and I, I think I have to go with Clowney, too. Um so we've got Deshaun Watson, and then we've got three Jadavion Clownies. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, Doug, again, I think it's fair to bring up Deshaun Watson here. And I think this was sort of the, the roll of the dice that the Browns made that a year later, we'd all have just sort of turned the page to, to football. And I think that's why, for me, I'm just thinking of Deshaun Watson, the football player, and not forgetting the other stuff but just what I think Deshaun Watson, the football player, can be. And that's why I don't think I, I, can, I can make him my vote for worst. But I do, I do still think it's a fair, I do think it's a fair discussion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's, it's no new information. It's relitigating, you know, whatever people think about that situation. But then also, it wasn't like when he got on the field, they went 6-0. and oh. So, like, he wasn't awful, but he wasn't great. It was all, like, flash, flash. So... It's not, and we all certainly anticipate that that was not the best of Deshaun Watson that we saw. But it wasn't like the on-field play was like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, 11 games, sure, that's a lot of uh, civil accusations, but oh, this guy, look, at, he didn't do that. No, we think he might in 2023. He didn't do that now. So, but I get it. Uh, Mary Kay, is this a legit discussion if he would have been suspended six games and played 11 games? Mm-hmm. See, I nailed the math there. And played 11 <laughs> games like what we saw at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, it's still a legit discussion. Like if there would have been a larger sample size, if there would have been a larger sample size of like, ooh, I don't know about this. Um, it's a little easier to write off the six games of, well, he was off for 700 days and this will look better. You know what? And I don't even know that um, Doug's reason for, uh, you know, calling this the worst acquisition had as much to do with his performance as it did with alienating a large segment of your fan base and upsetting people. So um, I don't think the amount of games would have changed that. Uh, and I still think it's a discussion worth having. OK, why don't we go ahead and uh, well, we know the vote, right? It's going to be clowny. Yep. Okay, Jadavion Clowney, a two a two award winner. Congratulations, buddy. Send him the plaques. <laughs> what a year. Um, okay, these are kind of the fun-ish awards that probably aren't going to be super fun. Uh, the defining moment of the 2022 season for the Cleveland Browns. I think, Mary Kay, you have not gone first in a while. So okay. you get to go first on this one. Okay. I'm going to, my choice is something that you guys will have to decide if you are going to let me do this one or not. And I'll I'll accept whatever decision that you make. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I think the defining moment of the season was when Roger Goodell increased Deshaun Watson's suspension from six games to 11 games. I think that changed pretty much everything. I mean, I I think if Deshaun Watson had only been suspended for six games, I think the expectations would have been this team should still make the playoffs. I think that 
the uh, 11 game increase, the increase to 11 games. I just think that that was a game changer. And um, it, it, it had a major impact on Deshaun's performance and the, the performance of the football team. And I, I just think that that was it. So I, I think it should be nominated. I would disagree with it though, because I think based on what we saw, this should not have been a seven and 10 football team either way. And look, I picked them to go eight and nine. So like, obviously my expectations were not super high, but I think the team we saw was still disappointing. And I don't know that it all landed on the Deshaun Watson suspension. I think, and and we've discussed this, right? Like this team, sh- this team should have made the playoffs or at least played a meaningful game in week 18. And they didn't even with the suspension. So I think this is worth discussing. It wouldn't be my vote, but I do think it was a, de- a, a defining moment for the season because the NFL basically said, you're not going to have your starting quarterback for 11 mm-hmm. games. So Doug and Ash, I'm curious kind of what you guys think of that, that moment before we get to the other ones. Yeah. I think it's a really good, smart outside the box way of thinking about things. I had not thought of it that way, but it's certainly, I mean, when you think about what people felt in that moment of like, oh my gosh, it's 11. Like there, there wasn't a mm-hmm. single thing that happened on the season this year that felt as heavy when it happened as it's 11. So I think from that standpoint, I think even though Dan, I understand your point of like, well, it didn't sort of change all the other things that went wrong. That moment, uh, I don't think anything matched the uh of that. And I'm, I'm starting to, to change my opinion, too. But we'll, I want to see what everybody else nominates. I still like my nomination, too. Ashley, I mean, what do you think of that um, as, a, as a nomination for this? I think it's a good one. And like Doug, I hadn't thought of it. I was more thinking about what happened in these actual games. Of course, that happened before the games, the regular season games started. Um, but I do think it did kind of set the tone. And it changed a lot. Um, And yes, it did happen before we knew how much else was wrong. But I think when we think back on this season as a whole, like the suspension is going to be what we think about. And that was, I think, the defining moment of that whole saga and how it ended. So I think it's definitely a good nomination. I have another point that I want to make about this too, Dan, which this might change your mind a little bit. Even though I think we can all agree, and we do all agree, that Jacoby Brissett, uh, exceeded expectations and played better than we thought he would. Um, I still think that Deshaun Watson would have won four games. I think Deshaun Watson could have overcome good a good quarterback play. And if you have eleven games, you're going to be better than you were. He didn't. He only really had like maybe three, four normal games. One was the rust game. One was the freezing cold game. You know, if you've got a larger body of work, chances are you're going to be better. You're going to knock the rust off and you're going to start winning some football games. Okay. Your preseason's over in the first four games and then you're going to get your, you know, your act together. Um, so I think he would have won more than four games. So I think they I think it would have changed the seat the course of the season had had he only been suspended for six games. I really think that he would have been able to overcome the defensive struggles and the struggles of the special teams. 
That's fair. Uh, yeah, you might be right on that. Ashley, what did you have? So when I started thinking about this, like I said, I was thinking about it in context of actual games. And I know we have talked about this game in terms of, Dan, I think on a recent podcast, your question was when you knew the season was over. And I keep coming back to this game, and that is the loss to the Dolphins, where they just get obliterated on the road in Miami um, after the bye week, which made it infinitely worse. And right before the bye week, they enter that week off on a high. They've beaten the Bengals the last time Cincinnati lost, by the way. They are, you know, I think the epitome of what we've thought is wrong with them as a group. We're like, sometimes this team kind of becomes front runners and maybe gets a little too big for their britches and a little overconfident. And they go down there and are just totally overmatched. And I think this is the really defining point of the season. Miami, which at the time was one of like the best passing offenses in the league. They, of course, dropped off later on in the season. And what do they do against the Browns? They run them off of the field. And this was the second time you'd seen a team like that do it. It was the Chargers game plan. And I think at this point, you just kind of knew, like, Deshaun Watson's not coming to save this team because the problems are a lot deeper. So for me, that's like the defining game of everything about this team that we thought was wrong. They kind of showed that it was wrong, that it was a real issue. We we sit next to each other too much. That was mine. <laughs> the ideas are popping through our brains because of osmosis. That yeah, that that was the moment that I was like, because you're right for kind of what you said. That was the moment when I when it kind of hit me like, oh, this this team isn't it. Like it's just to come out of the bye week and play like they did in that game um, was just it was awful. It was a really awful moment. Like they didn't even belong on that field. It was so bad. The it was such a bad game. And I would argue too that the following week to follow that up. Losing to a Buffalo team that had to travel to Detroit at the last minute and have basically their entire schedule and pattern and their lives uprooted because of that storm. And Buffalo came in and, you know, after you kind of hung around for a little bit, Buffalo just kind of dominated you. Like that game was not, that Buffalo game wasn't as nearly as close as the final score um, indicated it was. I think those two games were like, oh, yeah all the bad things we thought about this team were right. And that that's why I had the Miami game because it was just such a, such a, such an egregious loss, like out of the bye week to lose that game and not even look like you belong in the field was just yeah. like, if you lose on a last second field goal, whatever, but the way they played in that game was absolutely brutal. Doug, were you thinking Miami too? I wasn't, but I feel bad participating in this category because I'm still having memories of when I was very vociferously arguing for the ninth string cornerback who broke up the two-point conversion play in Pittsburgh when we did this a couple years ago. So uh, I have a weird reason for this, but I'm going to take the David Njoku one-handed miracle fourth down touchdown catch against Tampa that concluded a drive where Nick Chubb had a spectacular individual play that led to three horrendous horrible plays and then a miracle out of nowhere Jacoby Brissett pass where a burgeoning sixth year superstar made the greatest play he had ever made and the Browns went on to defeat the greatest player in NFL history or maybe second best behind Jim Brown a playoff team what a victory and it meant nothing and that (laughs) to me is this Brown season 
Like mm-hmm. every good thing you could find. Oh, we just went through at the beginning of the podcast. We we're like Nick Chubb, Joel Batonio, and Miles Garrett are as good at their positions as anybody in the league. What did it mean? Nothing. This was a spectacular individual effort by this tight end that they signed. They've nurtured this quarterback that they brought in who outplayed everybody's expectations. What a play. What did it mean? Nothing. So that defines this season to me. A moment of spectacular joy that meant nothing. Just like when they beat the Bengals. The Bengals might go win the Super Bowl. The Browns this year beat the snot out of the Bengals. What did it mean? Nothing. Nothing. They did a lot of bad stuff, and all the good stuff they did, none of it meant nothing. So that's why I like this choice. I have another. I have another defining moment that I, okay. I think des- I think it deserves uh, to be discussed here, even though I know I know what you guys are going to say, and I and I and I, I I'm going to agree with you to a large extent, but I cannot help get it out of my mind for something that needs to be discussed, at least discussed, as a defining moment, because in this moment, I knew that something was very wrong with this football team. And I look at a defining moment as something that encapsulates the season in some way. And for me, that was the end of the Jets game when they completely blew the game, a team that they were supposed to beat. And not only that, you had your defense breaking down, screaming at each other, shrugging their shoulders at each other, blaming each other for this loss. And that is when the dam broke open and we realized that the, I'm going to bring all kinds of stupid metaphors in here. We realized the emperor had no clothes that day, that this defense was not what we thought it was going to be. And uh uh-oh, where are they going to go from here? And it carried on and on and on, and they never really recovered. And that was the minute that we knew that something was gravely, seriously wrong in Brownstown. I was thinking about that one, too. Like, I mean, just how that game ended, besides all that other stuff you mentioned, Mary Kay, like, you blow that lead, that two-score lead in historic fashion in, like, 90 seconds. It's just gone. Um, and I do think that was a weird tone setter. I will say, I, I want to talk about this more, Dan, or however long you want to talk about it, but I thought you were going another direction with this, and there was another one I wanted to nominate as well when we're done okay. with this discussion, because this is how this, this is a story of the season. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I thought about this one for biggest miss, so this was certainly on mm-hmm. my, on my list of things to, yes. dis- to discuss here, Doug. Yeah, that's, the Jets situation is my nomination for biggest miss, oh. biggest regret. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, I would also apply this to, I don't think we have said this name. Talk about a head slapper. Correct me if I'm wrong. How Dan, how long have we been doing this podcast? An <laughs> hour 50 in? Hour 50? Oh, we're a going. disappointing season. <laughs> have we said the name Kev? No. No. No, we haven't. We have not put anything on Kev. And if we want to talk about, I should have nominated him for most disappointing anything. Most disappointing human. I mean, like, what Like, what are we talking about? This guy did a bad job this year. This guy did a bad job. I said it all year. He's done a bad job. 
and the conflagration of events at the end of the Jets game that includes him not telling a star running back to take a knee, this is on Kev. And that is, the to me, the great regret. So, however, now we're just putting things in categories, but absolutely, Mary Kay, the idea that you brought this up, we have to talk about this because Amari Cooper could have recovered the onside kick. Chubb could have kneeled on his own, I guess. The defense broke down, but Kev was steering the ship the whole time. And when you were saying we found out the emperor didn't have clothes, I didn't know which guy with no clothes we were talking about because I at least Kev is – Kev was in a speedo at best. Maybe he had a little bit of clothes. Maybe he had a thong. That's Kevin a thong. But man, you're the boss, and you blew it. So that was a moment for me. So, so this is what I, I I want to talk about this with the Jets game because this is, I think, an added layer to the Jets game. So going into that that game, somehow it came up like situational football came up in two twice in Kevin Stefanski press conferences, and in the first one. He was asked, um, they don't have the questions on these transcripts, but he was asked about covering situational football. And he says, it's more in the meeting room. We have an around the league tape that uh, one of their player development coordinators puts together and does a really nice job and watches every snap of every game. It's just for us to learn situational awareness together. It's a big thing we talk about. It's one thing for me to know the situation or one player, but it really has to be everybody. And he kind of goes on about the various things they put on this tape. And then on Friday... So the next time he talked, he was asked about uh, the Jacoby Brissett spike where he got flagged initially in Carolina wasn't. And he says, uh, you know, they always go over situational football. Every single one of those we spend Friday mornings going over things that happen around the league, plays like that that have happened. And it stands out to me. I listened to a podcast shortly after that, that Jets game. Uh, Chris Long has his brother Kyle Long on. This teaching tape is nothing unique to the Browns, but the way they talked about it, they made it sound like it was this amazing thing. And one of the things that Kyle Long said is, every Friday, Andy Reid does these around-the-league teaching tapes, and Nick Chubb scoring that touchdown would have been on that tape. And then a few weeks later, Saquon Barkley slides on almost the exact same play as Nick Chubb, and my first thought was, I guarantee you the New York Giants watched that tape. And that was on their teaching tape. And I just thought it summed everything up that like Kevin, who never says anything, anything in his press conferences really singled out that teaching tape and being so situationally aware. And then that happens. And I know that people kind of bristle at the notion of, you know, putting any blame on Nick Chubb for scoring a touchdown there, but you're supposed to be the smartest team in football. <laughs> like you can't, you can't make those sorts of mistakes. You just can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think Kevin loved the tape so much? He just wanted to be on it. Maybe. <laughs> oh, I'm boy. here on, I just want to make a contribution to the league. So we're going to screw this up so everybody can learn from it. That's nice. Dan, I like it when you find the good in stories. <laughs> I oh try. I try my best. We've got really good ones here. Ashley, you Wait, said you had another one, one right? Yes, when Mary Kay started her lovely opening into introducing the Jets game as an option, I said I thought she was going to go with another thing that I think we can consider defining and pointing to very large problems on this team that there was no more denying exist. I'm going with the yelling in the locker room after the Baltimore game between the defensive players and knowing like, oh my gosh, this is so much worse than we could have imagined, I think, at that point. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good one too, Ashley. And at the time, we didn't know it, but that was also the game when Jadavian Clowney took himself just off yep. the field and decided he wasn't going to play that game because he didn't want to. Yeah. And uh, and Chris Kiffin talked him into going in on third downs, uh, but that that game was a, a defining. Uh, a defining moment too, because like you said, we overheard all this blood curdling screaming coming from the locker room. And you did know that, oh boy, things are not going well. I mean, can, can I just throw out, I mean, this, again, this is sort of like the disappointing player thing, right? Like I'm just, I'm just going to go through here real quick. Uh, the Falcons, when they gave up a million rushing yards, yeah. the Chargers, when they gave up, yeah, the Chargers, when they gave up a million rushing yards, the Patriots getting blown out in that game. Um, we've mentioned Miami and the Buffalo thing. Losing to New Orleans yeah, in the that cold was... when you had a 10-point lead and it really felt like the Saints were just going to quit. And, I think I wrote after that, that game, game that that was like kind of like to Doug's larger point about you know larger themes of the season. Like Given how things had gone up to that point, this team was always destined to destroy any last shred of playoff hope they had on a historically cold day and a Saturday game on Christmas Eve against the Saints. And Jarvis Landry doesn't even come back, so there's not even that storyline. <laughs> Doug, do you... It's always destined. Are there this many bad defining moments in an Ohio State season? Right? Like, this year, it's just like losing to Michigan and that kick missing oh, by yeah, about 60 yeah. yards. Oh, man. Yeah. No, no, they're, they're not as many. Although, I mean, like, probably if we did this on, on Buckeye Talk, you could probably find... 17 plays from just the Michigan game. We would just only be talking about the Michigan game the whole time. Uh, one other I, I would also like to nominate as a defining moment, Jadavion Clowney gives an interview to Mary Kay Cabot. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good one. Right. <laughs> that is a good one. And the the layers are peeled back. <laughs> yep. yep. Oh, I mean, boy. that was when we knew. And honorary mention to, in the aftermath of that, when Dan asked Chris Kiffin about the leaders on this team, and he named a bunch of guys who were no longer on the team as leaders <laughs> on this line. I think that yeah. was very fitting when talking about this season. Sheldon, but Sheldon Day, great leader. <laughs> Isaac Rochelle, who was at that time a Raider, I believe, <laughs> no longer on the team. All right, we got to vote on this. This is going to be – there's a lot of nominees here. You know what? I'm going to do the Deshaun Watson suspension. I think after all that, we're just going to go yeah. back. <laughs> I wish people could yeah. have seen Ashley's reaction to that. I think after all that, I think it, I think it probably just has to be the Deshaun Watson suspension. So that's going to be my vote. Mary Kay, are you sticking with that? Yeah, I'm sticking with that. Yeah, Deshaun Watson's going to define so much about this season – I think this is fair. Like, I think in like five years about this season or 10 years, 20 years, that's going to be all people remember is that it was the season Deshaun Watson was suspended and the rest of his career will maybe color that. But I do think that is like the thing you remember. So I think that was a good nomination and I will, I'll give up my votes for my other things and vote for this. Yeah, I agree with that. Even the idea that like when it was six, it's like, oh, maybe it'll be four. Oh, it's six. Oh, no, it's not six. Oh, it's, you know, like that, that Mm -hmm. whole thing. And then when it's finally 11, I do think that's the right answer. Okay, last award here. We have finally made it the biggest. This is sort of a weird one in a year where you, you know, like you weren't even really close to making the playoffs. But I, I always think it's a, it's a fun one. Biggest miss of the year, or a play, or a game that led to the most regret. So it can be a single play. It could be Nick Chubb sliding, or mm-hmm. not sliding. It could be a game. 
Um, I guess if you want to get creative and there's something else you can think of to fit in this, this category, uh, you can do that. So we'll, uh, we'll re-rack it here and we will line these up. Uh, Mary Kay, you went first last time, so we'll let Ashley go first this time, especially because I stole her first pick. thought yeah. I was being so brilliant. Yeah, I know. Um, no, you know what? I think it's – I like the Jets game here for this because I think you win that, you start the year 2-0, and you start those first four potentially 3-1 and or 4-0 and because who knows what happens. Um, and I think it just really kind of, like Mary Kay said, like pointed to there being – larger problems on this team, larger problems on this defense. Nick Chubb not going down is such a, I think, defining moment or a big miss for a team. Let's I forget what category we're on. A big miss for a team that prides itself and wants to, you know, be the smartest team out there. That's a huge mistake to make. So I think that game was a huge miss in the mess that was this season. No, I think that's the right answer. I mean, we that's a th- think of what the, the three and O Cleveland Browns would have been. What would that have meant? Oh, here they are, these this scrappy team. Even if you know, even if they give up, one you know, like so many things had to go wrong. But part of it is too. So there's the fact that if they just would have won that game and then they beat Pittsburgh the next week, which they did, they th- they would have been three and O. Just what does that change about the attitude, the approach of this entire team? Maybe Jadavion's not so disgruntled for a three and O team. But also, like, winning that game would have been proof of some competence that we then, I thought, they lacked all year. Like we're saying here, if they would have been smarter, then it's like, oh, they're smarter. Or if they would have made the critical winning plays in moments. They got the defensive stop. Cooper recovered the onside kick. They did the things that winning teams do. There's the act of winning itself. And then there's the idea that, oh, they know how to win. They do winning things. And it either would have given them more confidence about doing winning things, or it just would have been that, oh, they're more competent than they actually are. Like, they turned out – that was my big – I thought that was such utter incompetence from Kevin Stefanski on down when it should have been kind of a run-of-the-mill victory. And so I it, – it doesn't mean that the personnel – you know, they're not going to – they don't get to add defensive tackles if they beat the Jets, but I just think there just was be a different a different sheen on the whole start of the season that might have carried its way through. What would the three and Browns have been like? <sighs> we'll never know because they blew that game. So I think it's definitely the, definitely my answer here. I'm going to vote for that one. I do want to make a case for another game though, and that's the Saints, um, mm-hmm. just because there's a scenario where you beat Tampa, you beat Houston. You did lose to Cincinnati, but then you beat Baltimore. So you had won three out of four. You were playing the Saints, the Commanders, and the Steelers. And if you could have figured out a way to beat the Saints, I don't know that you're making the playoffs, but with the way the other teams that were in the hunt for that wild card spot were playing, you had you had a chance if you could have beaten the Saints with the Commanders and the Steelers still on board. Um, that Week 18 could have at least meant something. Like you could have been playing a, a win and in or a win and need a little help to get in uh, game on that, on that day. And, you know, I don't know. I I think if you have a chance to make the playoffs, no matter what you're going to do, once you get in the tournament, I think if you can get in the tournament, it matters. And um, even though I had left them for dead long ago, 
if they beat the Saints, that there was still a chance. So I, I think I would make a case for that game, but I'm going to vote. For, I'm going to vote the Jets. The Jets game in this one. Mary Kay, did you have another one? Well, you make a good point there, Dan, because you know that game, like you said, you know taking your uh, playoff chances off the table are, uh, you know, that was huge. So I'm glad you brought that up. I um, still love the one that we've been talking about, but I have to bring up when we're talking about terms of, in terms of the biggest miss, uh, I really think that we need to bring up an honorable mention. I don't know for sure if this was a miss. Um, we, I don't know if we'll ever know for sure if it was a miss. But I think it just needs to be noted in this podcast. And it was the guy in the stands that threw the snowball and hit Jimmy Haslam with it. Now, I mean, if you're going to throw a snowball out, out of the stands, you don't want to hit the owner of the Cleveland Browns. He's never allowed back into the stadium again. So when we're talking about in terms of biggest miss, and maybe it wasn't a miss, maybe he was trying to hit the owner with the snowball. I'm not really sure. But um, I'm going to count it as a miss that he wasn't aiming to throw a snowball at the owner of the Cleveland Browns. So honorable mention for this category. Your thoughts? Now, wait, was it a snowball or was it a drink? No, what was it? Because I thought, was it was after it the drinks game? It was, was a beer it? bottle, wasn't it? Oh, a beer it? bottle. Was it a beer, was it a beer bottle? bottle? It was like a let cup me, or a Let me do some light drinker. Googling. Because I thought it was early in the year. Yeah, it was oh, a bottle. Oh, yeah, it was a beer it was bottle. A bottle. It was a beer and it bottle. Was, I, think it was, I think it was the Jets game. Oh, that was the Jets game, I too? Think. Okay. Okay. It might have been the Jets game, which was, also, which was also the yeah. game, by the way, where there were children standing behind Kevin Stefanski while he was trying to coach this game. <laughs> it not was the own. Jets game. It not was not, no, it was, it was not, they, were, they were not Kevin's children. <laughs> no. Wasn't right. he also they, mic'd up? It was a beer bottle, not up? a snowball. Somebody was mic'd up on the sideline. I think Kevin was mic'd up in that game, and that's yeah. how we noticed yeah. that there were just kids standing behind yeah. him on the side. They were actually related. <laughs> yeah. The kids were relatives of the person that got hit by the beer bottle. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, – it has to be the Jets game now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything's coming up Jets. That game was a microcosm of the whole, you know, <laughs> of the whole season. So, uh, yeah, so we got to go with the – we got to go with the Jets game. I mean, you could pick out any one moment from that Jets game, including, you know, the uh, the Nick Chubb thing. But I think we can just throw it all into the hopper. Doug's, Doug's face right now is just – he's uh, – <laughs> The Haslam grandchildren were on the sideline during a game? Yeah. Yes. Right behind. Not like on the bench. You know, there's like a bench area that's kind they, of marked off, but they were in an area literally like. They weren't in the huddle. Right they weren't behind. They were in uniform, Doug. It's not a big Kevin. Deal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, you got to go find, you gotta go find that mic up segment. Everything is fine. Uh, would this be a miss too? Not for the team, but Kareem Hunt's trade request? Kind of a miss. Just, just that it didn't, didn't work happen. out for. Yeah, that's an honorable mention. This. Yep, <laughs> that's a good one. Whew, what a year! Can't, oh, okay, Doug. I'm actually going to send you this picture here live on the air. I'm going to send you the picture of the children behind Kevin Stefanski because, of course, can you I have send a it to me, Dan? I just just put it in the group chat in my put it in phone. group chat because yeah, I want to see what it looked like again. I mean, it's too right good now. to not relive. Hey, uh, Mr. Stefanski, Mr. Stefanski, should you have Nick Chubb just kneel with the ball instead of score that touchdown? 
That would have been a better <laughs> idea, Mr. Stefanski. Hey, Grandpa, <laughs> watch out for that beer bottle. Oh, man, I can't believe we lost. <laughs> hey, Amari, why did you cover that outside kick, Amari? What happened? Oh, man. Joe Flacco's really good. I think he's elite. Kids. <laughs> The photo has been sent. It's uh, it's gold. One of these days, one of these days, I'm. (laughs) You got it. Uh, I like the grandchild who is leaning around, gets like, "Excuse me, sir, could you move? I can't see the field. I'm the coach, kid. I have to stand here." Or, Or maybe he's leaning in, saying, "Tell Nick to slide. Tell Nick not to score." Oh my goodness. It was the Joe uh, Flacco is elite reference for me. I'm whoa, man. Uh, I'm sure our, good our defining <laughs> moment of the... Uh, maybe it's that photo. That photo is say, the defining moment of the 2022 photo. Cleveland Browns. We did it. Really we, we landed on it. All right. Uh, real quickly, <laughs> to recap, our winners uh, of the 2022 Cleveland Browns, the third annual Cleveland Browns Awards on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Joel Petonio, the MVP, Jadavion Clowney, the unanimous most disappointing player, Martin Emerson Jr., the unanimous rookie of the year, Donovan Peoples-Jones, most improved, Grant Delpit, the most likely player to break out in 2023, best offseason acquisition, Amari Cooper, somehow, well, yeah, he did, he was unanimous, Uh, worst offseason acquisition, Jadavion Clowney, the defining moment, Deshaun Watson's suspension, and the biggest miss of the year, was the Jets game with a mention of the infamous photo of <laughs> children standing behind Kevin Stefanski. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm going to send out a poll to our texters with all these nominees. I want to get their vote. So if you want to get involved in that, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to become a texter, get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every day and get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. And of course, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. For our voters, our official award voters, Doug, Mary Kay, Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.